Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to remind you of all the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 28. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection. Pretty cool, no? You could shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the U.S. and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, better than Amazon. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowlands Sports Complex in New Jersey, and to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in, and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram and TikTok at impact.fashion.nyc or on WhatsApp status at 516-953-9391. You can also email me. It's rifky, R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, the show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzwitz, and on today's show, I sit down with a former successful MLMer to discuss her time in that cult-like world. She shares what an MLM is, the tactics used to maintain rank, and how the structure encourages bad behavior. Plus, we discuss why personal accountability isn't relevant here. Roberta Blevins is the type of person who experiences hardship and then channels it into resources for others. She was in the top 5% of LuLaRoe consultants with a team of 75 people underneath her and featured at their company events when she left the abusive structure to speak up and share her story. When I was born, I don't even think it was when I was born, but that's the story that I've been told. But it was probably one of those early childhood doctor's appointments. Um, the doctor, my pediatrician, told my mother that she needed to read a book called The Strong-Willed Child. So if that helps you with anything. <laughs> I have asked that question to literally every single podcast guest, and nobody has given any answer that is even remotely about that. What is the book, The Strong-Willed Child? I do have it. She gave it to me. It's on my bookcase over there, but I've never, I've never read it. I, I'm assuming, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I was very independent from a very early age. Uh, I kind of like knew what I liked. I knew what I didn't like. Um, come to find out in my forties, I'm diagnosed as neurodivergent with ADHD. So that probably also was a really big factor in my strong willedness, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I really kind of told it like it was, it, it's me. Like you see videos and pictures of me as a kid and you're like, yeah, that's her. Like it's, <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense. Okay. Oh my, that is literally my favorite answer I've ever gotten to that question. <laughs> and now I need to read this book just for the heck of it. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, getting back on track here. Uh, so as a kid, you were super strong willed and like going through college and everything and or school or I don't know if you went to college or not, but like going through your education, did you know what you were going to be when you grew up? Did you have like a, a really big, uh, you know, kind of a North star or were you figuring out as you went along? 
No. I, and I think it goes back to the ADHD as well. It was like nothing really held my attention for too long. Um, and I, I never wanted to be like stuck in a cubicle. I never wanted to have a job that I knew exactly what to expect. So I didn't know really what I wanted to be, but some of my early, this is so, so interesting. And when I look back on it, I'm like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Some of my like earliest things that I, that I thought I wanted to be was like a fashion designer, um, or like work in merchandising. So I was like going to fit them actually, um, and getting credits to go into that when I ended up going to beauty school, cause I wanted a job that uh i i could do that was flexible so that was be like beauty school wasn't even an like not even a thought in my mind until i went uh fashion designer i wanted to be an oceanographer for a while like a marine biologist cool. or something i love the ocean and i'm in san diego so that was a big big deal for me um i wanted to be i wanted to be like a radio dj but like a talk show host dj <laughs> yeah i i can relate to that so yeah, you know, like there's all these little things where I'm like, where I ended up wasn't surprising to me. And then when I talked to friends from high school, when they're like, oh, what do you, you know, what did you do? And I did hair for like 22 years before I became a podcaster. And so I was like, oh, I'm a hairstylist and a makeup artist. And they're like, that makes sense. You used to always do my makeup for the dances. You used to color my hair from the bottom. Like you were the one that would color my hair and do my hair. And I was like, really? And I don't remember any of that. So there were so many things that like, like intersected in my life that like where I ended up was probably where I belonged to be, but I never had a North star because I never could ever see myself focusing on one thing, which I think is why I really liked hair because I knew what to expect. So the fear that I have with anxiety with ADHD was gone, but it was, everybody was different. It was a new person. They wanted a different haircut. They were, let's try highlights. So there was always that like exciting unknown, but something that I wasn't afraid of. And so I think that's why I did so well in that. And then the same with podcasting. Like I know I'm going to sit here, then I'm going to have a conversation with somebody that we're going to get really deep about a lot of different topics and it's going to be a different conversation every time. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, I definitely hear how like that that structure, but then variety within is a really good, it's a really good place to be. And I love that's part of my day now. Also, not only with the podcast, but with the designing that I do. And it's it, it's a really it's a good sweet spot to be in. So you are a hairstylist and makeup artist for, like you said, over 20 years. And now you are probably most well known for your work around advocacy around whatever you want to call it related to MLMs. So uh, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with this in the beginning and and why this is so important to you. Yeah, so I um MLMs have always been in my life. My aunt had a pink Cadillac, sold Mary Kay, did the whole thing. Uh we had Avon all the time. My mom swore by skin so soft. Uh, so many products. We had Cutco knives, like everything. It was everywhere. So it was never like a weird thing to me. I never associated them with being bad or pyramid schemes or anything like that. I joined one uh, a little bit after my father had passed away, passed away 10 years ago. And I I joined one because I was feeling bad about myself because I was in this like this depressive spiral because my dad had passed away. And I joined an MLM looking for community looking for weight loss pills and whatever to make myself better, what I thought everybody needed me to be kind of thing. Um, and I didn't really like it. And it was kind of weird. I didn't like having this like replicated website and selling the same thing as everybody else. And like vitamins weren't really like my thing. And so I just didn't enjoy it. And I ended up quitting and going like, I, I don't want to do anything like that again. Last, flash, forward, flash forward to a year later, LuLaRoe comes across 
my my feed and I don't see it for what it is because it doesn't have a replicated website. Everybody has different things. And everything was a little bit different than the MLM that experience that I had had. And I was like, oh, like this is what I've been looking for. Yes, I really like this. And so started looking into it, getting really obsessed, joining all these Facebook groups, buying things, trying things out, going, I can sell this. It was never like, I'm going to have a big team and get a big bonus check and like get a car and go to Mexico on a vacation. Like nothing like that for me. I was a stay-at-home mom who was working in the salon. I was working not only here in San Diego, but I was also working in Los Angeles and commuting once a month to like go do a big weekend. My daughter was getting to the age where she was in school and she was going to start kindergarten where you actually like are doing things. There's field trips and there's graduations and there's all these little things. And I didn't want to miss that because those all tend tend to happen on the weekends, like on the Fridays that I was gone. And I was just heartbroken that that was happening. And I was like, I can't leave LA because it's a really good chunk of money that pays a pretty decent chunk of our bills. So I need to find something that can replace that. Working where I was in San Diego, I wasn't getting the same price that I was in LA. So I was making more money, doing less work. And I was like, I need to work smarter, not harder. And I need to figure out a workaround for this. And so when LuLaRoe came across my feed, I was like, oh, I could sell leggings in my house, like at night or like on the weekend. Like, that's so easy. Like, and I joined groups and just flying off the shelves. People can't even keep it. It's just like, I need it. I need it. Sold, 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 sold. And I was like, this like sells itself. I can do this. I never thought like, I want to have a boutique. I never thought like, I'm going to have dresses and clothes. And I just really wanted to sell the leggings. And I thought, yeah, I could do this. Like anybody could sell like. I'm a hairstylist. I can talk to people. I can convince people to buy pants. I, I like them. I wear them. Like, why not? And it worked for a really long time. And people, uh, I mean, 18 months is not that long of a time, but it worked. And people flocked to me and said, I, I want to join LuLaRoe and I want to be under you. You have a really fun team. Like you do really well. Like I was actually selling things. It wasn't just recruiting. And I think because I was also selling things and not just recruiting, I missed a lot of the pyramid scheme red flags, but because I was also recruiting and not just doing the business, I missed a lot of the business red flags too. And it wasn't until the people around me were actually being affected. Like my own team was deciding, am I going to pay my mortgage or am I going to buy more LuLaRoe? Like I'm getting in a fight with my husband over this. Like maybe I should divorce him. And like these very strange, like, whoa, that's, that escalated quickly kind of moments where I was like, whoa, 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 because I wasn't having the same experience. And I was like, can we talk about this? And then all of these things started to click and experiences that I had had in the past with LuLaRoe that should have been red flags became red flags. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that it was a cult until I got out. I didn't realize it was a pyramid scheme until I got out. The only thing I knew was this was not a business because the way that they interacted, the way when there were troubles or problems with things instead of just replacing it and being like oh my god we're so sorry you have to deal with this it was my fault like I must have stretched it the wrong way or I must have left the box outside too long or just things where I was like I didn't do any of this stuff what how is this how are you not fixing this so those were sort of these red flags to me that I was like this is not a business and long story short I eventually there were too many red flags for me to ignore. And I was like, I just can't morally stand with this company anymore. Like I just ethically cannot support them and I'm going to leave. And immediately after I leave, I want to say it was like three or four hours later, uh, they, they pulled the hundred percent buyback, which was this whole thing that they had used to recruit so many people and get so many people to buy LuLaRoe and they cover it in the LuLaRoe documentary on Amazon called LuLaRoe Rich. They cover the hundred percent buyback. I literally left LuLaRoe the same day they pulled that. And when they pulled that, I was like, this is my sign that I made the right decision. Like, ugh, 
I, I didn't have any idea what was actually going on until I left and started talking to other people who had left and corroborating and confirming things with them. And we had this little group of people and we were like, I think like there's something really bad going on here. And we have enough insight from enough different people that maybe hopefully we can start piecing this together. And that's essentially what happened. So we started piecing it together and then uh, I was one of the whistleblowers and I helped sort of like expose this with a lot of other different people. And then the documentaries came out and all these things came out and there was a lawsuit that I was a, a witness in and part of with, with evidence. Um, and then they settled in February of 2021 for $4.75 million. And uh, then I was like, okay, my time with LuLaRoe is done. And uh, then I just decided to start my podcast. And that's sort of when the advocacy really started to roll in. Because I had done so much research in my own deconstructing of MLM. You know, a lot of people like deconstruct their faith, but I was deconstructing multi-level marketing and going, there's ties to the government. Like, like they know this is happening. They're allowing this to happen. Why? why? This doesn't make any sense. And then the more I dug, the more I realized, oh, like, this is a racket. Like, this is a whole thing. Like, this is built this way. And then at that point, I couldn't be quiet anymore. And one of the things that had helped me the most when getting out was being able to talk to other people who understood my story. And I had seen so many people who were leaving MLMs on social media who were like, you know, like, it's not me. I didn't do this. It's not my fault. And I just wanted to reach out and give them a big hug and say, you're right. It's not your fault. And so I started my podcast so that I could talk to victims and say, this happened to me too. And this is why. And sort of start creating this education on the back end by sharing each other's stories and finding those commonalities and intersections between them. Um, and I hit the ground running and I, <laughs> that was three years ago and we're, we're coming up on our fourth year in February. So it's just, I never thought <laughs> I would ever do this because podcasting wasn't a thing when I was trying to decide what to do, but the fashion thing, the like working with people, the, the customer service of being a hairstylist, the radio DJ talk show ADHD. I was also voted most talkative. <laughs> like my, one of the superlatives at school. So like it all, I was like, oh, the like all of the, the all of these green flags were there the whole time too. And I just couldn't see them until I got out of all of it. And then it was like very obvious. Right, until you kind of <laughs> zoomed out and, and were able to really focus on that. I want to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned this idea of selling things versus recruiting people. Um, and not everybody may, it's possible that not everyone is familiar with kind of the structure of an MLM and what and what that is and what we mean by that. So can you give me like a three second primer? What is an MLM and how is it different from a regular business? Okay, so an MLM is multi-level marketing. It uh, is a multi-level business structure. So instead of like, you know, you buying something from someone and the, the transaction ends there, there's this kind of this chain and team of people that you then recruit underneath you. And then when they're successful, and I quote successful, they then, um, those commissions come back up the chain into your pocket. So that people like to say like, I'm building a team and they use a lot of words that real businesses would use too. There's a lot of Orwellian double speak where you're like, oh yeah, I've seen recruiting in a real business and it's not the same kind of recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. It's not the same. That's, that's not a potato, potato instance. Um, and so with multi-level marketing specifically, you join a company as like a, a rep for them and you promote their product, you sell their product and you can get a commission, but 
there's a secondary line of income where you can also promote the business opportunity and get people to join under you like you joined under someone else and repeat that process. And then you get a bonus check off of all of the trickle up from everybody underneath you. Okay. And, and okay. So this, we know what a pyramid scheme is, right? A pyramid scheme is when the, the way that you make money is by recruiting people underneath you. And that second half of what you described certainly, you know, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. There's, we're getting duck vibes from that secondary, um, you know, income stream that you discovered. But let's say I am someone, obviously, you know, we're playing devil's advocate here for a minute. Right. I am someone who, you know, is in your kind of position that you were in. I'm a mom who wants a secondary stream of income, something flexible, something that I can, like you said, like sell leggings at my house after bedtime. All of that really appeals to me. And I ignore the whole recruiting thing, right? Like I just, I get my leggings, I sell my leggings. Mm-hmm. What, is there a problem with kind of interacting with an MLM or being a part of an MLM in that sort of way? So I look at MLMs as sort of this really big construct. Uh, it's one whole entity and supporting any part of that entity supports like the hive mind. Um, it's like supporting big tobacco. It's like, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I buy cigarettes for kids. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. it's like that sort of thing where you're like, okay, like you're not smoking them, but you're still supporting it. You're still you know, giving people a light when they're like, Hey, can you help me light my cigarette? You're like, I can like, even that is like helping. So unfortunately, because it is this really huge, like corporation conglomerate, that is a a $190 billion a year industry, which is more than the NFL music and Hollywood combined. So it's a lot of money. Just so you can see the scope of what that kind of money looks like. It's a massive corporation that has all these different little fingers and they call them Arbonne, LuLaRoe, Mary Kay, Amway, but it's all the same thing. So in supporting the structure of MLM in any way, you're inherently supporting this very problematic and predatory structure that preys on people where there's a 99.7% loss rate for anybody that is involved in these companies. So, so what does that mean? You're buying the product from the companies and then 99.7% of the time you're not able to sell it? Kind of. I mean, it's more like the median on a lot of these companies in terms of income is zero, like the median. So most of these averages are really heavily weighed by these really, really big bonus checks that these people are getting in the hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. So if you've got you know 99 people making zero and you've got one person making a million, that that average is going to look a lot better than what it actually is because the median in this instance is zero. But yeah, when all is said and done, when you factor in your opportunity cost, which is like deciding to stay home and message everybody for six hours instead of just finding a job outside, when you, when you factor in that opportunity cost, when you factor in all of the sunk costs, I remember when I joined LuLaRoe, they're like, now you got to set up your LuLaRoe room. Uh, you got to buy a desk. You're going to need an, an iPad because you're going to need to run our software. You're going to need a printer to print your stuff. And I bought all of this before I was ever even in LuLaRoe and before I ever even had a single pair of leggings to sell. So I was already sunk in $1,000. So even if the day came and I was like, I don't think this is a good idea, I'm already $1,000 in and I'm like, but I'm going to make it work because I'm already invested. Like it's that sort of feeling too. So there definitely are people who are just selling and are doing a really great job and are killing it 
and 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 can do that. There were a lot of people in LuLaRoe that really just sold and were really high sellers. But then when I started realizing what was happening, I was talking to these people. I'm like, how did you, how did you get all the good stuff though? Like you, you got to sell a thousand pieces a night because you had really good pieces. How did you get that? And they confided in me. They said, I had home office's phone number. If I had a piece that sold really well, I would just call them and they would overnight me like a hundred of those things. I didn't, I didn't have that ability to do that for me. And the reason they had that ability was because they sold a bunch. And that's not a level playing field. That's not something that when you join an MLM, they're like, yeah, if you're really successful, you will we'll shower you with nepotistic cronyism and you can have all the best stuff. And then even that right there offsets anybody else's chance because those hundred items that that person got that flew off their shelf and they made thousands of dollars off was a hundred items that someone like me or someone else didn't even have the chance to get, but we're told we would have the chance. And so there's a lot of bait and switch. There's a lot of lying. There's a lot of times people fake sales to hit ranks. There, uh, I, I've heard stories of being like, hey, I, I need you to place an order, the person underneath me, right? Like you're under my downline. I'm going to tell you, hey, I really need you to place a $500 order to hit your rank because if you don't hit your rank, I don't hit my rank. And you go, I don't have $500 to spend in the next 24 hours. So I say, okay, I'm going to Venmo you $500. I'll pay for it. Now I'm buying your thing that I need you to buy so I can rank and it's called rank buying. And it happens all the time. I don't think there has been really anybody that I've talked to that hasn't admitted to having made fake email addresses for fake customers because like you need to get two new customers a month to maintain your rank. Well, I'll just make two fake customers then. And I'll just, I'll just buy the, the intro, the cheapest intro kit. Now I've got two new customers or whatever, like so much robbing Peter to pay Paul, so much of a human shell game, taking that bet, moving things around, hoping it comes out to your, in, in, in your advantage. And it just doesn't. The, the amount of people LuLaRoe, that are successful. You, when you were with LuLaRoe, did you do that? No. Well, okay. I did a couple times make fake sales because I needed like four more shirts or something. And I was like, oh, so what I would do is I would write like a, an invoice for four shirts that were paid quote in cash. So mm. they were on my end. And then I would put, I would say, okay, now I have four shirts to give away. And I would make a note. I have four shirts I can give away in a giveaway. And then I would sort of go, okay, well, these were the shirts that I bought. And because there's no inventory, there's no way for me to say it was this shirt and this shirt and this shirt that I just knew that I had like four things to give away. And that happened a couple of times because I felt desperate. I really need this paycheck. I really need this bonus check because my bonus check was $5,000, but me giving away four shirts was only a hundred dollars. So why would I not forge that hundred dollar thing to be able to make that $5,000 check? And that happens all the time. That floating of the bonus, the spending a thousand dollars to make $2,000 and still come out in the green is a huge thing that MLMers do as well. I did it. And again, like the people that I talked to, so many of them admit one of my best friends, who's my best, one of my best friends now admitted to signing up her cat into her Beachbody team because she needed another customer. So she signed up her cat. I hope you know the cat I mean? achieved their desired <laughs> Beachbody. So it's, it's ridiculous things like this. It's a, it's a circus. It's not a real business. And when I started to see those things, that's when I was like, this is not how business is run. You don't make fake invoices. You don't ask people to make purchases. When I started researching, I, I, 
I, I learned all of these statistics. Now you brought up the difference between a pyramid scheme and an MLM is there's like recruiting and in an MLM, you're actually selling a viable product. I've got, you know, this, and I'm going to sell it to you. And you're like, thank you so much. I really like that. I'll come back next month and get it again. Right. But here's the statistic of products in an MLM, because the MLMers are the true customer. Once the MLM sells all the leggings to me and they're like, we made a billion dollars. It's to me. I now have to re resell those things at I'm pre pretty much buying it at retail and then reselling it at like luxury retail because you can get these same kind of leggings at Walmart for like under $10. And I bought them for $10. So I was like, oh. you know, like I started to see those things too. So most people in MLMs and I'm in a, I'm in a Facebook group that literally does this. And I just, I'm in there to just really kind of prove my point. Um, they'll have these posts where they're like, let's support each other. And people will post their links. And it's like, if you buy something from me, I'll buy something from you. And they're recycling the same $25, right? So people are selling things, but it's all going back into the MLM. And the statistic is in terms of like, if we're really selling things to an end consumer, you would think in a business that, I don't know, 80 to 95% of the products would be sold to an end consumer and not just the employees that worked in the store on their discount or whatever. The statistic in MLM is only 10% makes it outside of the pyramid into actual end consumers' hands that are not affiliated with that pyramid or multi-level marketing. Like it is a very incestuous, like cyclical, I don't even know what like to call it. it, it it's all inside. It's not actually making it out. And so it really does define when you look at it, when you look at the white and black of is this this it is but there's so much government overreach there's so much control there are these like self-regulatory things that mlm has got in and done over the last 40 years in the government where there's not a lot of oversight for them they can really do anything they want they mlms helped get the fda deregulated so that nothing really comes of anything with the fda until there's a problem you can put anything out on the market and say it's not fda approved and then when the FDA comes after you, it's after the fact. And they deregulated that for the supplement industry, for MLMs. I mean, there are so many things that happen that have really bad lasting economic like results that when I look into it, MLM played a huge part in a lot of these things for the sake of getting more victims. I, I want to talk more about this word victims because it seems like a strong word for what somebody could argue is just a bad business decision. But I want to leave that to the side for a moment because I could make an argument that the practices that you're describing that are, like you said, passing that same $25 around or um, the the people, the, the MLMers, as you call them, who are more focused on recruiting than they are on selling products and things like that. I could argue that those are the actions of the the MLMers, like those are the actions of the people who signed up for this, a company, you know, like, let's say LuLaRoe, that's making the product, they could say, listen, we sold you leggings, you're supposed to sell them, you spend all your time passing the same 25 bucks around. That's kind of on you. Like, we didn't tell you to do that. How you're literally laughing at this question. Um, But like, how, how, uh, what, what would you say to that in between giggles? Um, uh it's intentional, I guess, is the best way to say it. Like, 
they use a lot of the same language. They use a lot of this like rhetorical, like, well, it happened, like it happens there too. Like, this is so normal. Like, like here you are making a sale the way you would if you worked at Target or Walmart, if that's how it is. There's a lot of um, really interesting things. I think a lot of it has to do with coercive control, unfortunately. And that's where we get into kind of like the cult aspect. Um, there's a lot of special favors that happen. If you're not performing the way you want, you'll get like, not demoted in rank, but you get demoted in status. It's all invisible, right? Like, oh, you didn't do what I wanted. You didn't hit your rank this month. Even though I told you I needed you to spend $500, you didn't. And because you didn't, I didn't hit my rank. And because I didn't hit my rank, I didn't get my bonus. And because I didn't get my bonus, I didn't get to pay my bills. And because I didn't get to pay my bills, now my kids are hungry and it's your fault. And you're just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'll never let that happen again. And you, you, there's fear and it, there's so much coercive control. There's so much bullying. There's so much like external and internal things that are going on that like people have no idea of. And it's, it's so I see the similarities on the surface of, Hey, we didn't tell you to buy that. Hey, we didn't tell you to sell it like that. Hey, we didn't tell you to only have the same kind of customers, but Mark famously told us that um, who is we, Mark? and, and Mark's, the C, Mark's the CEO of LuLaRoe. And he famously told us that if we, that the clothing was so good and so amazing that if we couldn't sell it, that it was because our customers were stale and that we needed to go out and find better customers. And I was like, oh, so it's not the soaking wet. It's not the holes. It's not the stink. It's not the horrible patterns that look like poops and clowns and nothing that nobody wants. There was so much... It's your fault. It's your fault that you that you're recycling the same $25. It's your fault that nobody wants the leggings you bought. Everything's great on our end. I don't know what you did, but everybody over here wants it. Why can't you do it? It's your fault. And it's this, it's really psychologically damaging. And I, I don't think everybody gets into this. Uh, and I don't think everybody sees themselves as a victim in an MLM. And that's fine. But there are a lot of victims. And the other thing that's really interesting about an MLM is you're not only a victim, but you're a perpetrator. And it's one of those very strange gray areas where you become both things. Because as soon as you start recruiting people, you get into the game. You understand. Once you understand how it works, when you're at the bottom of the pyramid and you're the last person in and there's nobody underneath you and there's nothing to trickle up, you realize very quickly, I need to get some people underneath me. And I've heard stories of when they're not making fake accounts and funneling them i've heard stories of people like just really kind of going after people and harassing them nonstop to get them to join to get them to buy it's it's like mean girls really it's not how businesses are run mlms don't have hr departments none of this stuff would ever come up in a in a call or anything and in fact if you were the person that was being feeling this way hey my upline is coercing me into buying stuff I don't need and they're making fun of me and if I don't do the thing then they're you know being passive aggressive they're bullying me on their lives they're dropping subtle hints like well we won't say any names but I think we all know who I'm talking about like that mm -hmm. kind of stuff right this really mean and you're just like sitting there watching and going she's talking about me what I had a girl come on um I had this woman come on my show and she was talking about how she was being bullied her upline and her downline so the person that she she joined under and then a person she recruited were mad at her and they were bypassing her and sending each other gifts and posting it all over social media saying, you're the best upline I've ever had. Oh, you're the best downline I've ever had. Thanks for the edible arrangement. Thanks for the necklaces. 
and putting it out there very, very obvious just to bully this woman, just to be like, this is where you are. This is your place. And because of all of that kind of stuff, like it's a really, I, I it's just really hard for me to say that it's a business that you get into it to sell a lipstick and everything's great. There are very, there are few instances, they do come up where people had a really great time. And a lot of times it's people who are like, I had a really great time. There were weird things. Looking back on it now, I can understand like what it was and what was happening, but I really have fond memories. And that's okay. I had a really great time in LuLaRoe. I made a lot of really cool friends, went to a lot of really cool places, but I still was in a coercive, abusive situation where I was being controlled by this charismatic leader who was making me feel bad about myself when I couldn't perform to their expectations. Yeah, it certainly smells like a cult. <laughs> when you put it that way. See, to me, I think about this. I don't have any personal experience with MLMs aside from like the random person who I haven't spoken to since high school, like messaging me about how I have to try this Rodin and Field skincare product. Like that's right. the extent of my, and I'm like, nah, I'm a drugstore aisle girl. It's fine. Um, and that's basically it. But it seems to me like the appeal here is all of the, like all of the flexibility, all of the perks of owning your own business without any of the like ridiculous amount of works that come in that go into owning your own business. It's like plugging yourself into somebody's existing infrastructures. And as someone who owns their own business, I understand the appeal of that. Like that makes so much sense. How do you extract yourself from that? Because in a lot of ways, if you're able to make money off of it and if you need that income to support your family, that is a really appealing arrangement in a lot of ways. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, plug and play business in a box. I don't have to do anything but give them my credit card and social security number and hit the ground running. Uh, absolutely. But as someone who you own your own business, I own my own business. I know what it takes. When I was in LuLaRoe, I had zero, I had zero time freedom. Any, like, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. If there's time for you to sit down, you could be messaging people. You could be messaging people. Oh, look, I remember getting messages at like 10 o'clock at night, okay? If I'm working at 10 o'clock at night, it's because I want to, right? It's because I have a deadline or I'm working on an episode and I'm really, really into it or I'm researching something that I just don't want to get off. Not because I've got an upline going, I've got a girl that wants to join. You better get on right now. I'm starting a group chat. Send her your link like 10 o'clock at night where I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like ridiculous. It never stopped. It was 24 seven. I never had breaks. I never had weekends. I never had anything. My kids would be like, mom, can we please go swimming, please? And I'd be like, I just have to photograph 25 more leggings and then we can go swimming. It made me so angry all the time. I never felt happy. I always felt like I was running a billion dollar corporation. Like it was that kind of stress of like, I felt so much more important and bigger than I actually was. And there was never any free time at all. Never. Zero. Having my own business now, I know when I shut my computer and I go, I'm good. It's four o'clock. I'm done. I'm done for the day. I'm shutting this down. I'm not coming back to this. I don't have to come back to it. I can tell anybody in my life, hey, I can't make that meeting. And it's not a big deal. I could never do that. If I didn't make a meeting, if I wasn't on the home office webinar or whatever, there would be text group chats about why I wasn't there. Why do you think Roberta didn't show up? Well, lately she just hasn't been seeing like maybe she's not as, you know, all in as she used to be. And 
then I've got another target painted on my back. Roberta's asking too many questions. Roberta's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, it just, it was never like a real business ever. And, and being in the salon and knowing how to run a business and then being in LuLaRoe, I, I didn't know it was a cult. I didn't know it was a pyramid scheme, but I knew it wasn't a business because I had been raised by businessmen. I had been a business person my whole life, an entrepreneur my whole life. And I was like, this is not how you treat people who are, who are your, the people that are supporting your business. This is not how you do this. Uh, there were just so many instances of me knowing that this isn't how this should work that I just, I started asking a lot of questions and that's not good either. Especially like in a cult, you don't ask questions. Like you just obey. Um, you get too mouthy and you become a target. You, I, I say like you're a mouthy cog in the machine or you're the squeaky wheel. Right. Um, it was, it was very obvious to me that what I was doing was not a business at all. And I don't know if other people feel similar that I haven't talked to, but the people that I have talked to do feel similar as well, that there is no plug and play. There is no, it's just a business and you hit the ground running and people just really want your lipstick because everybody is your competition and everybody is undercutting you. And even if I sell Mary Kay and you sell Arbonne, we both have a red lipstick and we're both trying to get that same person to buy our red lipstick. And so there's so much competition. There's so much undercutting. There's so much lying. There's so much stealing and backstabbing and poaching of things. It's just a really vicious environment. And it that's not how a business should be run. That's not a plug and play business that I would want to be a part of. And you feel like you're a business owner, but you're not. You're a you're a contracted like like a promoter, really. Like I'm giving you $99 so that I can promote your business for you. And hopefully I make my $99 back and I can break even. But most people don't even break even. When you left, did you lose any money? Well, yes. Yes. My bonus. So when you left LuLaRoe, if you were going to return anything, they came up with all these like rules after the 100% buyback that said anybody coming and returning from this point on, if you made any bonus checks at all, you have to pay those back first. And I had more bonus checks than I had inventory. So I was like, well, I can't send Wait, this back. What? Hold on. Yeah. You, one second. <laughs> one second. My brain just exploded. The bonus checks are what you receive based on the sales of the people underneath you. My team. Yeah. Like okay. what they, and it should be the sales, but it was the purchases. So whatever the they bought, I got a percentage of. Whatever they bought from you. From LuLaRoe. From LuLaRoe. So they could they buy a thousand dollars from LuLaRoe and I get like a hundred dollar bonus. Okay. So the purchases that, so it's not necessarily their sales. It's whatever it's, it's them replenishing their inventory, which yes. in a, in a utopian society would indicate some level of sales, but as you've gone through could indicate just them trying to keep up a rank or uh, mm -hmm. maintain good standing or something like that. So whatever purchases they made from LuLaRoe, you would get a commission from. Right. And then, and those were called your bonus checks. Yes. So when you they decided, called it, they called it the leadership bonus plan cool when you whatever like branding um when you so when you decide that you no longer want to be a part of the program you have however much inventory in your house and instead and if you wanted to give it back presumably for a refund they said first you need to return 
we're basically deducting any the amount of your bonus checks from the refund. Yes, because they flipped the script and said, what's happening here is people would buy all this unnecessary inventory that they didn't need to hit their ranks. And now they have all this inventory that they already, quote, made money on because they got a bonus for like convincing other people to buy. So if you're going to return it and get your money back, you have to give us all of the bonuses you made off that money, like off those clothes too. So we're just going to take the bonuses off and then whatever's remaining, you can get a refund on that. And my bonuses were higher than the inventory that I had. So it literally would have been me sending them like $50,000 worth of clothes or nothing and just calling it a wash. What'd you do with the clothes? So when hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned, I mm -hmm. had a massive blowout sale and I had a ton of stuff and I invited people to come to my house. I, I had like pay what you want days. Mm -hmm. I had, if you work for LuLaRoe, if you're a LuLaRoe consultant and you want to pick through my inventory because I had good stuff. I just, I was like, I can't sell this anymore. Like, I just was like, I can't do this anymore. Like you guys are scamming people somehow. I'm going to figure it out, but I can't do this anymore. And so I was like, you can have it. And I remember people coming as I was starting to figure it out and I was still selling things. People would come to my house and they'd be like, oh, we're LuLaRoe consultants. Like, oh my gosh, you have so much good stuff. Like, are you selling your racks too? I was like, yeah, you want them? They're like, this is so like, why are you leaving? You have such good stuff. And I'm like, pay me first. And then I'll tell you, like, <laughs> just give me the money. I want to get out of this nightmare. Like, I don't want to be in this like ever anymore. So, um, yeah, I just started selling it. Uh, so I did that. I did like pay what you could days. I donated some of it to like different churches. I donated some of it to my daughter's school for like their costume department and the plays mm -hmm. and stuff. I mean, in the haunted house, like just to, so that the people could dress and put blood on it. And it was just like whatever clothes uh, during COVID, because I still had a ton right in the early days of COVID when all, all of the nurses were complaining about not wanting to infect their homes and having to strip down in the garage from their scrubs and everything. I was donating leggings to local nurses and local hospitals so they would have pants, even if they wanted to throw them away, pants underneath their scrubs. So that when they stripped down, they weren't standing in the in the parking mm. lot or their garages, butt naked. And I just said, come get them. So I, I, I posted this thing online and I had a lot of friends local. And so, um, and of course it's COVID. So we're not, we're not touching. Right. So I would make these bags, I'd seal them up and I'd write the person's name and I'd put them out on my porch. And then I would just have people randomly coming by and just picking up their bags and leaving. And then I had a lot of people once, once I had exhausted all of the local contacts, I still had so much more. And I had a friend who was a Lululemon consultant. She's like, you can have my leggings for this too. And then we started reaching out online and I was sending, I was sending boxes of leggings to like the Los Angeles children's hospital. I was sending, like, I think we sent some to New Jersey. We sent them all over the country, completely free. People sent me donations, it covered most of my costs, but I still paid out of pocket a couple, couple bits of dollars um, to get all of this out, but it was totally volunteer and it was totally free and it was one way for me to like adjust my karmic scale too like mm -hmm. I wanted to help in any way that I could and I had hundreds of pairs of leggings and lots of nurses that were like hey I would be so thankful for a pair of leggings underneath my pants so um yeah I still have some we had a garage sale when I moved I found a bunch of other stuff like you'll find one or two things here or there it's just like glitter you know, I'm like, no, there's a piece in this too. 
So it really is like LuLaRoe is the herpes of MLMs. Like it's just everywhere. It's just like, I kept finding it over and over and over and over again. It just kept coming back. Um, We still have some, but most of it is gone. Most of it is gone now. And I didn't make my money back because I'm selling it for like pennies on the dollar and giving a lot of it away. And um, so overall from the whole 18 months that you were there, did you, did you make it, did you turn a profit? Did you break even? Yes. Uh, My business, my boutique broke even. So I would sell, you know, $5,000 worth and then I would replenish and it would just sort of cyclical kept it. And I was able to grow. That's why I had so much inventory because they were always like, the sweet spot is, and then they would tell you some ridiculous arbitrary number that I'm like, I have to get to that number. And it was just front loading. It was just me buying things. When you ordered, you had to buy at least 33 items. So I do a replenish order. Maybe I only needed 20 items. But, I'm like, oh, I'll just get a 20 30, item and I'll throw 13 new things. I'll just I'll just get one of every size in a new style and see if people like it or things like that. I mean, just like money grows on trees and like, I'm just going to like, oh yeah, because I have the money because it was sitting in my, it was sitting in my back office from sales. And if I used that money, they would give you a discount if you used it like that way. Mm. And so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to keep it in the business. And then my bonus checks literally replaced the job that I quit to do this full time. So in terms of quote money, like I wasn't living high and mighty. I was just doing exactly what I had been doing at the exact same level, but I just wasn't going out of town anymore. So there are people out there that had massive hundred thousand dollar bonus checks for month, for a month, per month. My highest bonus check was six thousand dollars, six six fifty or something, six six whatever, sixty five hundred. That's a good check. I'm not going to say that that's not a good check. I'd be happy to get that check today in the mail. I'd be like, yeah, but it's also not a life changing amount of money for somebody who's like has all the bills to pay. You know, if you have $5,000 worth of bills and you're making $6,000 a month, you're not living the high life. You're floating $1,000, you know? And so I think a lot of people don't understand that when they hear the number like $65,000, like that's a lot. And I'm like, yeah, but over 18 months, it was what I was already making. So I didn't make a ton of money in, in MLM. I made the, I, I broke even in my life that way. Uh, right. But there were people that made a lot of money, a lot of money. And, you know, you're always trying to get to that point, but I didn't realize what it took to get to that point. And even where I was at, at 65 in 18 months, it was, it was just horrible. I don't know any other word. It just, it was just traumatizing. <laughs> it yeah, it like... doesn't, it doesn't sound fun from, from what you've described. What would you say to anybody listening who is currently a part of an MLM? I would say, um, I, I asked this question a lot of times on my podcast. Like, what would you say to somebody who wants to join an MLM? And, and most people say, do your research. And I agree. And, and doing your research doesn't mean ignoring negative and only reading positive. That's not research. That's an echo chamber. So talk to former reps, listen to podcast episodes. I have a podcast. We talk about all kinds of MLMs and all kinds of intersections. Look it up. Google is whatever the company name and MLM is the company name a scam is the company name a cult. Google these things, figure it out. Talk to former reps, talk to people that are in, talk to people that are happy, talk to people that are actually going to be honest with you, that are going to say, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It's more work than I'd ever done for, I mean, I was, I was doing so much work for, for, I didn't need to do that. I didn't. It was, it was 
just too much. And it's, that's a part of the cult too, is keep them too busy to ask questions, keep them too busy to think for themselves, get them in this routine where they're just doing this and that they'll fall in line. And I wasn't going to be that person, right? I'm just I'm the strong-willed child. Like, I'm not going to be like, where do I stand in line? Like, I was like, no, I have additional questions. <laughs> like, mm. We're not happy about that. Um, so for me, I say, do your research. If you are in an MLM and you're like, but I'm doing really good, then what I want to say is I want to urge you to do a profit loss statement every month. And I want you to really be honest. And some of these expenses that you don't think are expenses are expenses that you need to add. Did you get a babysitter for your pop-up? Did you pay somebody to watch your kids while you were at another place selling things? That's an expense you need to put on your profit loss. How much gas? Did you have to put, you know, fix your car because you're driving too much? That's another expense that you need to think about. What is this business costing you? Real, not just what you want to believe, but let's really... Like if you want to be successful, let's have the hard conversations. How much did your inventory cost you this month? How much did you buy helping out your friends? I need three sales to make my quota. Did you buy one? Because that's a business expense you wouldn't have done had you not been in this business. You would have not done that. So all of those need to be factored in. The desk you bought, the ink you bought, the printer you bought, the paper you buy, the boxes, you, the bubble tap, the, the bubble wrap, the tape, the packaging, whatever. It all needs to go on that profit loss. And you have to be honest with yourself because if you are not honest with yourself, you are going to get in big, 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 big trouble with yourself. And if that number at the end of you doing that profit and loss is in the red for three months in a row, you got to pull the plug. I don't care how nice those people are. I don't care how great the discount is. I don't care how red that lipstick is. There is a better lipstick. You don't need that discount on the thing you don't need. A discount on a thing you don't need is girl math, okay? You don't need it. You don't need it, and you're not saving money by spending something on you don't need. You're losing money that way, too. So you just really have to be super, super honest with yourself, and it sucks, and it's hard, but it's worth it when you go, oh, my God, she was right. She was right. Oh. And it's a realization, and I don't want you to think like, oh, I'm so dumb, because you're not. Like we said, 99.7% is a racket. It's obviously intended this way. Gambling, going to the slot machines or the roulette tables, 95% loss rate. This is a higher loss rate than putting it all on black. Would you gamble your whole family on black? Would you? I wouldn't. And MLM has a higher loss rate than that. So it's like really, really like, let's put this into perspective, right? $190 billion. Somebody's making money. It's not me though. It's not you, but somebody is. And it's when you start looking into it, when you start looking into it, they, they have a lobby effort. They buy congressmen to get votes. They do this. Uh, the DSA, the Direct Selling Association, very, it's all there. So knowing this stuff, realizing that I'm not just a hater, <laughs> that I actually care, that I actually know these things and that I've been there and I've done that. And I just want to let you know that it's not your fault. And that the feelings that you feel and the anxiety that you have and the dread that you have on that Tuesday morning Zoom call that you don't really want to be on and you keep your camera off for, you're not alone. There are, there are Facebook groups from the MLM you're in that are whatever. The haters, listen to the haters. Say, hey, I'm in this MLM. Can I ask you some questions? Especially if you come across somebody who's compassionate and wants to talk about it. Come find me on the internet and send me a message. I'll help you email me. If you have questions, 
come reach out to me. I will do my absolute best to get back to you and to discuss these things because you need to be financially responsible. Every day we get older and it's harder to recoup the things we've lost. We don't have as much time to rebuild things. So really be really honest and aware and ask those really hard questions. Yeah, that seems like a good place to start, you know, in navigating this this whole piece. If somebody wants to learn more about you, Roberta, where can they go? So you can go to my website, robertablevins.com, or you can go to my podcast website, lifeaftermlmpod.com. It has all of my links, all of my resources, all of my episodes, all of everything. It is the easiest place. Or you could just go to Google and Google will take you to those websites too. So Google, what a novel concept. <laughs> well, just Google me. Sometimes I just say that. Just Google me. I'll pop right up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's as as simple as that. I want to end off um, with with a question that, that I started asking the people who come on the show. Uh, and I'm curious to hear from you. Where do you think you've made the most impact? Um, so I'm really humble and it's like hard for me to talk about, but I have so many guests that come on and say, I'm going to give you a compliment and please don't delete this. Like don't edit this out <laughs> because I really want to say this to you and I want people to hear it. Um, when I got out of LuLaRoe, I had 75 women underneath me. And I talk about this in the documentary. I said I had 75 women underneath me and all I wanted to do was help 75 women get out because I just needed to get my karmic balance back to zero and I could figure it out from there. Um, I have helped I don't know, probably at this point, hundreds of thousands. I don't count anymore. I have people that message me and say, I was super duper in this MLM and I didn't know what was going on. And you came across my FYP. The first time I saw you, I hated you. I wanted to block you. But you made a couple points that I kind of agreed with. So I stuck around. I followed you. I hate followed you, you know, and and one day you just, you hit the nail on the head. And I was just like, oh, she's right. She's right. I can't, I can't deny that she's right about that. And I think just the ability to compassionately talk to people who are in cults and in bad financial situations where they don't want to admit that that they've allowed people to take advantage of them, because who wants to admit that you're wrong or that you've been taken advantage of? It's really hard to admit that. And they find somebody who tells them and gives them the permission that it's okay. Um, I wish I had that when I left because there I, I was really met with a lot of like, you're stupid for joining, you're stupid for leaving. And I really just wanted to create a safe space for people who are like, I don't think I'm stupid for either of those things. Like, I think there's something more here. So I think creating that space and having it work and having people find it and connect with me and say, you changed my life or thank you, or you helped me get my sister out of something, or you helped me purge my house of all of this stuff. I didn't realize I had so much. I didn't realize I was so stuck in this mindset. I didn't realize that was the root of all of my unhappiness and I'm unpacking it and I brought it up to my therapist and now we're unpacking that. And it's just, it's really cool because it was, it was kind of like always in the back of my mind. I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool if this happened. And it was never an intention, but it was always a hope and it happened. And so it's, I think that's probably the best part of all of this was that I was able to use my pain and my trauma to help other people process theirs. That sounds really special. Thank you so much for coming on today, Roberta. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Roberta, her links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, I spoke to Bracha Getz about her career as a children's book author. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. 
The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact passion. Globally and I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 19 people listed by Oragu Note as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on all the socials, including TikTok at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.